We're going to read uh, Romans 12, 17 to 21. And uh, this morning we're uh, doing something uh, in terms of forgiving your enemies. And next week we'll be looking at the topic of forgiving ourselves. Uh, So we read these words from Romans 12, beginning at verse 17. Hear God's word. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Oh God, I pray that you would open our eyes just in the next few minutes to the words that we've just heard read, that you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, rebuke us, whatever we need today, but grant that we might hear your word and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that one of the major differences between Christianity and certainly most other religions in the world is in the way that we treat our enemies. But just who are our enemies? Well, they could be ultra-nationalists, or Republicans, or extreme loyalists, I suppose. For some, our enemies might be big business, the unions, the banks, globalization, politicians we don't agree with, the EU, Putin's Russia, North Korea, so-called Islamic State. Or perhaps our enemies are those who express dislike towards us, those who mistreat us, exploit us, or abuse us. Maybe it's those who exercise power over us and misuse that power. Perhaps it's the people who have walked out on us, betrayed us, those who want to take us down a peg or two. Maybe it's just those who are not very nice or considerate towards us. Maybe sometimes our enemies are the people we're jealous of that we have a personality clash with, or the people who have said hard and hurtful things to us. And maybe with the referendum this Thursday, the last weeks have sadly made enemies out of some who were previously friends but find themselves in the opposite camps. Whoever you and I may regard as an enemy, we are to treat them as Jesus commanded. The most natural way for most people to respond is to strike back, to retaliate, to seek vengeance, or at least strive for justice. But Christians are to be, how should I put it, unnatural. Maybe that's not the best word. Maybe I'd be better to say Christians are to show a different spirit from that of the world around us. I actually entitled this talk, Forgiving Our Enemies. But you know what? Jesus took that a step further when he said, we are to love our enemies. How deeply unnatural that is. 
Jesus, I think, recognized our natural tendency for retaliation. Uh, Indeed, what we might call selective love. We are very good at loving the people who are like us, very good at loving the people who are similar to us, but not so good at loving those who are very different and especially those who are our enemies. But the teaching of Jesus is clear, indeed very unequivocal. Let us look a little bit at Matthew 5 and verses 43 to the beginning of verse 45. Jesus recognized that the Jews of his time generally believed this, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. That was the culture of Jesus. Love the people who are like you, but hate your enemy. That was the accepted philosophy. And so Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 5 and verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's tapping into the cultural mores of his society of that day. And then he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons or daughters of your Father in heaven. In other words, he says, it's a kingdom responsibility. It is a responsibility of those who claim to be disciples of Jesus to not only love their enemies, but to pray for them as well. That is certainly deeply unnatural. It is an other spirit to the spirit of the world. It is a different way of looking at life and community. But before we go further, we should note that Paul begins the chapter we read from uh, in Romans 12 with these words, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul's picture of Christianity is of a faith in which we are so abandoned to God, it's like living sacrifices put on the altar. And when we lay ourselves on the altar before God, we do not sit up and say, I'll be back later on tonight, or I'll see you in foresight tomorrow morning. A sacrifice on an altar lies down to be sacrificed. And Paul says, we are to present ourselves in the view of God's mercy as our whole lives given over to God as a sacrifice. And God is therefore entitled to do with us whatsoever he wishes and chooses. And he has commanded that we are to love one another. How? As I have loved you, said Jesus. And we have absolutely nothing to say to the world out there about loving enemies if we cannot love one another. Through our personality differences, through our different viewpoints, through our different things where we've let one another down, hurt one another, the command of Jesus is love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. There is perhaps no more difficult love than to love those who have hurt us, let us down, who are actively opposed to us. But I want to suggest this morning very briefly three things that we can learn from Paul's teaching here. And the first is this, is Christians don't get even. Romans 12 and verse 7, this is what uh, is said. 
and it doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe I mean 17. That might make a little bit more sense. Where are we? Verse 17. I put the wrong verse down. Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, that's an interesting verse, verse 17. Dr. George Wood suggests what is actually, to me, a remarkable literal translation of this verse. You know, commentators will maybe give you different slants and verses, uh, but thinking that he is more uh, able in his Greek than I am, he says this. The verse literally means, and I quote, really think out beforehand what your response is going to be so that it can be a beautiful response. Isn't that amazing? Really think out beforehand what your response is going to be so that it can be a beautiful response. That is a clean, literal translation of Romans 12 and verse 17. Now, what Paul is saying is this. We're not to be a people controlled by our emotions, reacting quickly, unthinkingly to slights, be they real or perceived. Neither are we to be those who are instinctively reactive whenever people hurt us but we are to be people controlled by the Holy Spirit. When I am reactive, I lose my temper. I respond with anger. I feel an antagonism towards someone. How often have you or I said words to this effect? I love to kill him. I love to kill her. And we get so cross with people. That is our instinctive, reactive tone of thought. But when we reflect and ask God to help us by his spirit, we can learn to be more like Jesus, who even when he was being crucified, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Then note what Paul says in verse 18. He says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with anyone. Not only are we not to try and get even with our enemies, but we're also to try and live harmoniously with them. Now, Paul realized it's not always possible, which is why he said, as far as it depends on you. Many of you will have heard me say of the difficulties I had as a young child with my father taking ill, his business being stolen from him. And I remember a lesson on forgiveness when it was not possible to meet up with the individual who had stolen our business. But one day, having come to a point where I thought I had forgiven him, one day he drove past me in the lorry that had been my father's and was now misappropriated by this individual. And as that lorry went past, my heart was beating and I thought it was going to burst And I was reminded that forgiveness is a journey, but I was also reminded that there was no way that I as a teenager could get together with this man and have a chat with him. I could not reconcile or even say, I forgive you. And so I know and I'm aware of situations that many of us face, being let down, being hurt, people walking out on us, people disappointing us, people promising and letting uh, down and, and... going back on their promises. I know all those things. But one of the first things that we need to learn to be a disciple of Jesus is don't try to get even. It does no good. 
And secondly, I think we can learn from this that we should let God be God. Look at Romans 12 and verse 19. Uh, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. When we retaliate against our enemies, we take matters into our own hands, and by implication we therefore exclude God from the process. When we react and act without considering what God would want, we're effectively saying to God, you don't know how to control your universe, so I'm doing it. Paul quotes from the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 32, and when God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, then he is telling us to paraphrase Isaiah that the government is upon his shoulders and not upon ours. Indeed, thankfully, God is the judge, and those who have done wrong will, as God has promised, have to face his wrath, which we can define as the implacable anger of God towards sin. People will face the wrath of God who have done wrong and sinned. And it is up to us to step out of the vicious cycle of revenge and retribution and retaliation and let God be God. At the end of time, or whenever a person dies, God will settle accounts. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 31 to 33. We don't have time to read through this rather interesting and perplexing parable of the sheep and the goats. But verses 21, uh, or 31 to 33, first of all. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne. In heavenly glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And you, you read through the parable, it's, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and as much as you did to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And then we have this Rather sobering verse in verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now this morning is not an opportunity to begin a discussion about eternal punishment or annihilation or all those things. But I think what Jesus is telling us here, indeed for our comfort, is that we live in a moral universe. We live in a universe where God will bring those who belong to him to his presence, to his side, and those who do not belong to him will be doomed for uh, destruction. And that is such a serious, serious thing. Let God be God. Let God be the judge. Let God wreak vengeance. Let God pour out his wrath. Our job on earth is to forgive, to love and live as far as possible in peace with our enemies. A tall order, but who told you the Christian life was easy? Let God be God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then, I think, thirdly, we learn that we are to overcome evil with good. God says, let me be God. Let me be the God of vengeance and wrath and and all that. But on the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep uh, heap burning coals on his head. 
As a child growing up, I was taught this verse as being very important to understanding forgiveness. And I was taught that uh, heaping burning coals in somebody's head was, uh, you know, like if you show love and goodness to somebody who has hurt you or uh, become an enemy to you, you will make them burn with shame and embarrassment, like like having uh, coals on their head and very hot. But I I want to perhaps uh, give a a slightly different uh, perspective on that, one that uh, I only came across uh, fairly recently. We're going back thousands of years ago in history. Making a fire was very important, and it was very difficult. It wasn't so easy as we would do so today. And if somebody's fire in the house went out, uh, they were then left with nothing with which to bake bread, uh, and they were in difficulty because there was nothing to heat the house as well in, in the winter time. And so practice would have been that a man would have gone to his neighbor with a pan and he would have said to his neighbor, whose fire was still going, could you give me a couple of living coals to bring back to rekindle my fire? Now, as to the practice of carrying those on their head, I don't know. If I had a can of burning coals, I think I might carry it out like that as opposed to on my head. But nevertheless, uh, the, the, the purpose behind it was this. If you went to your neighbor and said, I need your help, and the neighbor who was an enemy gave you coals from his fire, he was making you his friend. And what Jesus is saying, and what the Scriptures are saying, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. And you will heap coals in his head means you will make him your friend, or her your friend. Overcome evil with good. Abraham Lincoln, who sadly, like uh, the MP during the week, Joe Cox, met uh, a, a tragic end. Abraham Lincoln was a man of Christian faith, and he said this, Do I not conquer my enemy by making him my friend? Do I not conquer my enemy by making him my friend? That's the attitude of one who overcomes evil with good. Let's be honest here. This is a hard teaching. I know that when I am incensed by something or someone I think is opposed to me or in disagreement, I can always convince myself that mine is a righteous anger, but his is not righteous. I am righteous, but he is not. But here's the thing. When we react with anger and hurt and bitterness and an unforgiving, judgmental spirit, whom do we hurt most? Ourselves. Unforgiveness and a bitter spirit devastate our souls. Unforgiveness and a bitter spirit harboring hatred and anger towards an enemy create a wasteland in the center of our hearts and pushes us further from God and indeed from other people. So listen to the advice of 1 Peter 2 and 21 to 23. This is what Peter, who knew what it was to profess that he would even die for Jesus, and yet he denied him and broke all those promises of loyalty and obedience. And to this man, Jesus came and said, feed my sheep. To this man who had so wronged Jesus and hurt Jesus and let him down, Jesus said, feed my lambs. And this is what Peter writes 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus suffered as one who is totally innocent, totally without sin, totally without guilt, and yet he suffered. People let him down. People betrayed him. People were unfaithful to him. People gathered together to kill him. And yet Peter says, he let, he, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, verse 27, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. A little bit earlier on, I think if I remember correctly, I said that Jesus on the cross cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Isn't it remarkable that this Jesus, crucified by uh, an illegal process, a trial that was illegal, process that was jaundiced, a process that was not right. The innocent Son of God, scourged and beaten and crucified, didn't cry out from the cross, Father, get even with them. He did not shout with anger, destroy them, Lord, bring down your judgment. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, maybe what I've said this morning is quite theoretical for you. I, I don't know. Perhaps you think it's not applied enough, but let me tell you that if you think I don't know what you're going through, you're absolutely right. None of us knows, I think, what any of us goes through. None of us knows the difficult situations that we've faced where we have a need to forgive someone, but we find that we cannot. And yet God's word comes back and says, don't try to get even Let God be God and overcome evil with good. So as we close, let me encourage you just to close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. And let me suggest some things to you as we respond to God's word this morning. Let us pray. And as we pray, I'm going to ask you to do some work, perhaps this morning, you and I need to ask God to show us if our attitudes to other people are honoring to him. Is there someone that we need to identify as an enemy against whom we have accusations and justified feelings that they hurt us, they robbed us, they abused us, they let us down? I'm going to encourage you just to Think of that person. Picture them in your mind. But as we respond, I want to encourage you not just to learn to pray for your enemies, but learn to pray with them. It's one thing to say to somebody, I'll pray for you. But when you pray with someone, you hear their heart. Could it be that God might be asking you and me to learn to pray with someone who has been an enemy to us?
And remember that forgiveness is a journey. For some, they find amazing grace to forgive quickly. For others, it's a process, sometimes a long process, a long journey. But with God's help, you will make it. Ask God to help you in the journey. Loving your enemy does not mean necessarily making them your best friend, but who knows what God might do. Indeed, may I encourage you to pray and to think as to how God might show you to be able to give an act of kindness towards an enemy, to do something that may surprise them, Who knows what that might do to your relationship? And just as I shared earlier that I could not be in contact with the man who stole my father's business from him, I know what it's like to try and reconcile with someone and you cannot either because circumstances make it impossible or because the individual does not want to. So if you're in that position of not knowing that you can actually reconcile with an enemy or meet up with an enemy, leave that person with God. And remember that Paul has said, insofar as possible as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. You can be at peace handing over an enemy to God with whom you cannot make contact. And it's up to God to deal with the one you hand over to him. And above all, as we close, can I encourage you and myself to learn to forgive and to love because we are forgiven and loved by God. Lord, whatever response we need to make to your word this day, help us to be determined not to try to get even with those who hurt us or wrong us. Help us to let you be God and know that vengeance is yours. You will repay. And help us to be a people in the midst of that hate-filled crime that slaughtered an MP in our country. Help us, Lord, to overcome evil with good. In Jesus' name, amen.